Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Pounds, pounds. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to our episode of Sheologians. We are here today to put the her in Jared. The her in Jared? Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> yes. Sometimes we uh, we really have to come up with these on the fly. So, Well, the bad news <laughs> is, is that I actually thought of this yesterday. So. Oh, Okay, well, that makes it, it worse. Very good. Thank it you. Was abiding by all the rules we have set regarding we- putting her and she in words, yes. which are none. Yes. Okay, <laughs> I did that. I, I. This is a spoiler. We. I'm Summer Yeager. That's my co-host Joy, and we have a friend with us today, Dr. Jared Moore. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad to be here. This is so, a lot of fun. The good. I'm glad. Um, my husband was like, "Who are you interviewing tomorrow?" And I was like, "Dr. Jared Moore." And he was like, "Who is that?" And I was like, "You don't know Dr. Jared Moore? What do you mean? <laughs> I've been following him on Twitter for years. Um, what are you talking about?" And then he got super excited to see that you have a podcast because he's in like a podcast desert right now in his own life. Um, so. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to and why I have been following you on Twitter. Yeah, I have been, you know, the Revoice decided to declare war against evangelical Christianity um, back in 2018. And uh, we had a lot of uh, evangelical leaders that kind of wimped out on it and wimped out on the fight. And, you know, it. When someone makes accusations about God, his word, holiness, what repentance is and sin and accusations that are contrary to God and contrary to orthodox biblical Christianity, every Christian in earshot, you know, they declare war against them and against God. And so when when there is uh, evil afoot, good men stand and, and fight and so do good women, right? They stand and and stick to the word and uh but uh but especially men and you know i just found a lot of folks who were compromising on this and um i I think that we need to draw a line in the sand biblically because you know the sexual perversion of our culture it doesn't stop with revoice but revoice this last revoice they argue you know because they argue that same-sex desires are not sin they've argued that trans desires are not sin now And, and so it what you know what's next in in a few years what are they going to be saying and so we have to draw a line in the sand now and um we need public repentance from leaders who have talked contrary to this and uh but uh, but that's why that's why i've been i've been railing against this for you know five or six years now i guess publicly and i uh, wrote my dissertation on the subject and this book is a lay version of my dissertation that's right. Yes. And that is exactly how you I initially found you was uh, we actually had Nate Collins on the show years ago. Wow. Um, and this and I believe it was you mentioned 2018. I believe it was 2018. Um, there were just questions that I wanted to ask him. And 
this was really kind of the beginning of Revoice and the beginning of of side side B, I guess if you want to call it Christianity, like coming onto the scene. And what was really frustrating in that conversation was it was kind of like trying to pin Jelly to the wall to get a very clear answer about what he believes. Um, And I think all of us have had whiplash since 2018 on so many issues, this one being one of them for sure. Um, I kind of wonder if he would even say some of the more conservative things. I'm using that word loosely now that he was saying back in 2018. Um, I don't know that he would. Um, And then, you know, something that uh, Joy and I is like near and dear to both of us in this conversation is that kind of part of part of what is inherent in the side B Christianity topic is this idea that like, being gay is this like immutable part of your identity that you will never recover from um, or that you shouldn't even have to recover from. It's not something that that requires a recovery or a repentance. And the reason why that's so important to Joy and I is because we've been talking a lot for years about issues related to addiction. Um, and we do believe that if you come up with these categories for sin that essentially make sin not sin, you're telling people that are enslaved to sin that this is it for them. Like it's hopeless. Like this is just it for you. And so if you look at what Paul says in first Corinthians where he says, such were some of you in that list, you have drunkards, you have thieves, you have murderers and you have homosexuals. And so I think one of the, I think when Christians gave up categories long ago to um, like alcoholism and you're not a drunkard, you're an alcoholic, we started decades and decades ago giving up these categories of sin to the world and, and redefining this kind of like, it's not sin, it's this or it's that. So anyway, it's super important to us. And that's why I think when the whole revoice thing started, we were like, wait, 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 wait. Um, if you talk about homosexuality this way, you're going to have to talk about all kinds of other sins in the same way. You're not even going to be able to call them sins. And and that is that is such a huge, um, well, it helps enslave people. So anyway, um, I have been just very appreciative of the work that you've been doing and that you've you've been, like you said, since 2018. That is totally how I ended up finding you. It was like, I'm, I'm looking for people that are pushing back on this. And of course, there's Rosaria Butterfield. She's been doing amazing work on this for years. Um, but we need people in our seminaries. We need pastors. We need men, like you said, that are specifically to- like standing up to this. Um, and so I'm just curious how you got someone to publish your book in the first place. Well, it was very hard, actually. Um, I sought several publishers and they all rejected me. Um, but Owen Strand was my outside reader for uh, my dissertation. So he was familiar with the work and he started doing this academic line for Free Grace Press. And, um, so he wanted my dissertation for his academic line, but he wanted it to be more of a lay version to where it can help pastors and lay folks in the pew. And so that's what I did. We edited it down to where, um, to where it's easily accessible, but also it still contains a lot of the hard hitting. Um, I say hard hitting, it's just exegesis, right? We're just exegeting like James one, Romans one, 
um, Genesis three, uh, and you know, talking about the temptation of Christ, and then looking at church history and saying, no, the church for you know at least seventeen hundred years has understood that anything in us contrary to God is sin. And uh, semi-Pelagianism is the notion that it's not sin, right? That the and so that's what we're seeing today is semi-Pelagianism has largely won the day. So something about something interesting with Greg Johnson, who was um, um, the church that hosted the original Revoice Conference and has since left the PCA. Something interesting with um, you know the the co-founder of Revoice. Um, which that's not Greg Johnson. I forget the, the I forget the guy's name offhand now, but he has come out on a podcast in the past couple of years, and he he was trying to speak favorably about Revoice, but they were asking him why he left. You know, he ended up leaving Revoice. Um, mm-hmm. But he says that he did not believe that inner desire is sin. So this is this is a guy who's in the PCA Church who claims to believe the Westminster Standards. He didn't believe inner desire was sin until the PCA study report came out, which was like a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And when he did believe it, he had to leave Revoice. But that tells you that a co-founder of Revoice did not affirm the Westminster standards on the mm-hmm. doctrine of sin. Mm-hmm. And so the PCA has got a, a glaring hole in it somewhere in their education or in their leadership. Um, the the teaching elders. Um, are more theologically liberal than the ruling elders. If you just look at the votes at the General Assembly in the PCA, uh, the ruling elders are more theologically towards Westminster, and the uh, teaching elders are more theologically toward Tim Keller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Can you, for the people who, let's be real pastoral about it because I don't even think I, you're a pastor in Tennessee. I don't even think I said that. We're talking about his book, Lust of the Flesh. I don't think I said that either. Okay. Now everybody's caught up. (laughs) I think there's two big words and I know Joy's been reading your book too. So she's got, she's got thoughts. There are two big words. Well, one phrase you've used so far, I want you to define. And then another one that I think people really need to know. The word, and this is, man, I thought this was so boring years ago. I tried to talk about this on the show. I'm like, y'all got to know this word. Can you tell us what concupiscence is? And then the other phrase that you used is semi-Pelagian. Can you just, you know, tell the person in your pew, like, what what are what do those words mean? And why does it matter? Sure. sure. So concupiscence is the lust of the flesh. When, you know, before we're Christians, according to Romans 7, we are nothing but flesh. And flesh is anything in us that's contrary to God. Another way to say it would be we're nothing but original sin, like we're guilty. We're guilty of Adam's sin. You know, Adam, once he sinned, his posterity, his descendants, he could only produce what he was. And so we were of Adam. He's of the devil. Once he submitted to the devil, he had flesh things in him that were contrary to God, and he passed on those things contrary to God to all his posterity to where we're born sinners or even were conceived in sin. And when you become a Christian, God the Holy Spirit, he comes in, he changes you, right? So he frees your will from having to submit to the flesh, and he makes you a new creature in Christ, and he gives you these desires 
that are for God. So now as Christians, and you see this in Romans 7, Paul taught, and he talks about this in Galatians as well, that there are desires of the flesh and desires of the spirit in Christians. The concupiscence is the flesh that's left over in Christians. The lust of the flesh, right? The desires that are contrary to God. In the Westminster Standards, they call it motions of original sin, right? The original sin and all its motions are truly and properly sin, according to the Westminster Standards. And that's just a reflection of Scripture. You know, Romans 7, Romans 3, um, I mean, it's just throughout Scripture, Exodus 34. You know, um, so that, as far as concupiscence, what's left over of sin in Christians. And then um, the other question, what was it? What was the other question? What is semi-Pelagianism? Yeah. So semi-Pelagianism is, is the assumption that you were born with a sinful nature, but you weren't born guilty. And you become a sinner later on in life whenever you actually sin. Right. right. So they they don't believe you inherited sin from Adam. They believe you inherited a nature inclined towards sin. So essentially, they believe babies go to heaven not because of Jesus, but because of their own merit. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. there, there's no yeah. way to argue otherwise. They they're worthy of heaven because they're sinless. Right. Right. Okay. So what what does that have to do with the whole conversation surrounding? Um, gay Christianity. Yeah. So they've changed the definition of sin to where you no longer need forgiveness. Um, you know, you need forgiveness for actual sin, not forgiveness for evil desires. And so, you know, they, they use this language, the way that revoice, it's all anthropology. It's all the study of humanity. It's all empty rhetoric. And they call it theology. So what they'll do is they'll do a poll of people who have these desires and ask about their feelings, and then they'll make theological statements about, um, you know, as if they've done any theology. You know, theology comes from the Bible. It doesn't come from taking a poll. Let's let's do a poll and ask people if they can stop doing something, and then we'll just make a theological statement that once you're gay, you're always gay type thing, right? And um, it, it's just, it's it's nothing but anthropology the study of humanity and then calling that theology, the study of God. Um, what was your original question? I've lost my track. No, you're totally fine. I'm just saying, so I do, there's a reason why I think that people should even just, yes, you, you mom that's raising kids right now. Like there's a reason why I think it's valuable for you to know what semi-Pelagianism and concupiscence is and one of those reasons is that I was talking to my 13 year old daughter the other day and she's telling me about her friend who says that she's non-binary and she is, she calls herself, she's a teenager. She calls herself um, a non-binary lesbian because the boy that she's dating identifies as a girl. So my 13-year-old daughter is being very, like, she's coming to me like, can you believe what my friend said? Like, and and it's like, 
So, okay, on one level, do you need to be able to exegete concupiscence? No. But what matters here is that these issues and what's happening within Christianity on the topic of gender and what is sin is is walking into your house through your children. Like whether you know someone or not personally who is a they them uh, who is dating a boy, but they're a lesbian because the boy says they're a girl. Like whether that is your reality, that is 100% our children's reality. And so my question was, what does concupiscence, like why, why it, what does this have to do with gay Christianity? What is the, what does the person in the pew need to know um, about all of those big words and kind of the, you know, I think revoice is a little bit, uh, it has a little bit of an air to me of um, ivory towerness. They're, they kind of, they kind of act like they really have this thing figured out and it's like, okay, but when it walks into your room in the form of a 15 year old girl who believes that their friend is a man in a woman's body. Like, how do you pastorally confront that? Yeah, it goes back to back in the 70s. We separated sexuality from biology. Um, you know, even the concept of someone being gay or a homosexual, biblically, there's no such thing as a homosexual. As far, I mean, think of the language, homosexual. Like that, that's an ontological statement, who this person is in their very being. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in Genesis 2 that you're either born male or female. And entailed in your male or femaleness is opposite sex attraction for the pursuit of marriage. I mean, literally, God has designed our bodies to fit together in the covenant of marriage. And so you're supposed to pursue one person of the opposite sex for marriage. That is according to the creation order, according to God's design. And we separated in the 70s, you know, psychiatry, psychology, they separated um, sexuality from biology. And now we're seeing people are separating sex and gender from biology. It's just the natural progression of us getting away from the word of God. So in order to answer that, we need to believe what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, that we must love God with all our heart, souls and minds and love our neighbors as ourselves. And so from our hearts, we must love God and our neighbor. And there's no way that trans desires do that. There's no way that gay desires do that. So we need to encourage people to repent at the root, the root of their sin, which mm -hmm. is the lust of the flesh, the beginning inclinations and desires. We must encourage people to turn from those desires Revoice and its advocates do not believe you can turn from desires that are contrary to God, but but the Bible is very clear that you can, and that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can cultivate desires that are in agreement with God's design and God's word. Essentially, what I'm arguing in my book is that people who have same-sex desires, Christians, should reject those desires, find an opposite-sex Christian, godliest person you can find, and pursue him or her for marriage, get married, have lots of babies, enjoy your life with them. You know, repentant Christians are the best fathers, the best husbands, and um, come repent with us. Instead of saying, I've got to be alone for the rest of my life because I'm gay. Who, who told you that? Who told you you're gay? Right? Uh, quit listening to your feelings. Quit listening to the culture. 
right? It's amazing. Like if we say that our feelings are authoritative, you know, have your feelings ever told you you're worthless, that you're of no value? Then you bring scripture and you correct your feelings. Well, why not bring scripture and correct your Mm. feelings of same-sex desires, Mm. right? Why arbitrarily try to use scripture to correct what you want to? It needs to correct everything in you that's contrary to God. So that's what I want to encourage people with. I, I think with Revoice, folks are going to wake up one day and realize that they rejected God's good gift of marriage, God's good gift of children, um, because they believed a lie. They believed a lie. And what's subtle about this is when you hear like Jackie Hill Perry say that, and she's just repeating Tim Keller, that when she got saved, God didn't call her to be a heterosexual. He called her to be holy, mm-hmm. where they pit holiness against God's design. No, 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 no. You cannot. It, it, it's similar to telling a trans person who gets saved. Oh, God, God didn't call me to be male according to my design. He called me to be holy. No, no, no. Your, your sexuality is tied to your biology. Yes, if you are a if you were gay or whatever and you got saved, God does ke- tell you that now you need to live according to your design. And if you desire marriage, you need to pursue an opposite sex person, Christian, for marriage. That is the biblical design. So Jackie Hill Perry's wrong on this. Dean and Sarah, who is speaking at the convention in Indianapolis at the Southern Baptist Convention 2024, in his book with Moody Publishers um, that came out uh, 2022, he, are, he quotes Jackie Hill Perry and argues that. Um, that is blatantly unbiblical. It's wicked. It's wicked for a pastor to tell people who should be pursuing marriage, biblical marriage, that no, you need to be celibate because you are gay. When the Bible does not say that, it says the opposite of that. I am so glad you said that. <laughs> it is really, really hard to stand up to that line in particular for a lot of people. Um, and it is, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just really, anyway, I'm not going to own this joy. You, I'm going to throw the ball to you. I'm just so happy. You said that it's yeah, not being was, said enough. It's not being said no. enough. Mm-mm. Yeah. I think that there are a few reasons why the idea has gained ground or has kind of theologically confused people. Cause you hear a statement like, Jackie Hill Perry says, and you're like, well, you know, but to understand what she's actually saying, like you said, pitting holiness. Um, but I think, I think too, that, uh, a reason what kind of kept coming to mind when, when I was reading through the book was just that this already, so a lot of people may not, um, they may not uh, say that they would struggle with this particular sin. Um, But uh, I think that what you're ultimately getting, what you're ultimately pointing to here is what do you believe about sin, which is incredibly important when it comes to what do you repent for? What is requiring of repentance? And then of course, ultimately um, there is no perfect repentance aside from Christ. And so it's like, if he, uh, what did he die for? Um, and like, what, what, uh, what exactly is he covering when I stand before, uh, God in judgment? 
Um, and I think that we all, we, what we all do know is we do all know those little fleeting desires, those little moments. And I think that we are happy to not take responsibility for them. I think we would align with a theology of sin that looks like this because we don't want to have to repent. We like it. There's, you know, we're very happy to make the distinction between living in sin and having less of the flesh. And one, one, it's like, oh no, we can totally, uh, we totally acknowledge that someone who lives in sin requires repentance. They may not even be a Christian if they're living in sin for a long period of time, all that. But we don't, we, we really are very inclined to not take responsibility for what we have also labeled. So we do the labeling of little sin maybe, or look, it was just, it's just the, my flesh. Like it was so fast. I couldn't even stop it. And, but I, I genuinely do think in your day to day life in ministering to yourself, uh, walking yourself through the sin that you do struggle with, whatever it may be, if you are inclined to be like, well, that was just like a quick, fast one and I'm not living in it and I'm not acting on it. And so it's not, you are you kind of create this like weird, like uh, moral uh, space in between, you know, like living in sin and God's holiness. And it's just like, okay, well, so that's not, God doesn't really need to uh, forgive me for that. I don't really need to ask forgiveness because it was just like very quick and it's not really who I am. <laughs> um, and that's really, I mean, that's really what we're doing. And I really do think that, um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we believe that we're sort of naturally inclined to many things. But I, do, I think that there is some confusion. There's just like a tightening up of theology that can happen. I mean, even just, I like, I don't know. I felt like I was pretty solid, but reading the the first half of this book, I was like, oh, this is really clearing it up. Like <laughs> this really helps me yes. be yes. like, oh yeah, I'm responsible. Oh. I'm, res I'm not a victim of my sin. I'm not, I'm not like a um, evolutionary beast that has become over time and through evolution um like inclined and towards certain impulses and i'm not i'm a victim of those impulses because i didn't choose them um i'm responsible for my sin yes man that's, that's freeing because it means that christ like your only hope is christ and we know that as christians but in our day-to-day -day, like you're talking about in our daily practice we have a tendency Instead of running to Christ continually, we try to self-justify. We mm -hmm. we don't need to self-justify. We have a Lord and Savior, you know. And I, I find it more freeing. Like Revoice would say, my book is not freeing. But I think what they're presenting is a prison. That's right. Right. I, I think there's freedom in Christ. And I'm so thankful. Like you you remember when Jesus is is teaching his disciples. Is here's how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, and He includes confession of sin there. Mm -hmm. Like you have to pray for God to forgive your debts. I mean, mm -hmm. th think about that. Like think of so He teaches us how to pray, and every time the assumption 
is that we need to pray for God to forgive our sins. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, every time we pray, like we have so many that we're not even aware of. That's right. You know, yeah. Because of our sinful flesh. I think one of the most freeing things is to, as a Christian, to be able to look at your sin and call it sin. Like that is where you're going to be freed from it. Because mm-hmm. if you, if you're just like nursing it and holding on to it, like what you're actually holding is fire close to your chest. Right. I think that's a proverb. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure that's a proverb. All of our listeners that are like, why don't you ever give us the references? I don't know. It's in <laughs> Proverbs. I want you to go read Bible. Proverbs. <laughs> yes. It's in the Bible. Um, it's actually freeing not to hold fire to your chest and to yeah. go to go no i'm sinning and to and then because mm-hmm. because when you have a new heart you hate your sin you don't want to hold it close to you 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 want the fire to not be on you and it's actually like super freeing um there's a little one of our favorite phrases here on this show is get over yourself right and so yeah. like get over yourself it's it's sin. Your your feelings are not these precious little flowers that need to be tended and treated so sweetly. Like it's sin. I think Rosaria is the one who is always using the lion reference, right? Like it's going to come you you don't invite a lion into your house to live with you. Like it's going to kill you. And in the moment you might be like dazzled by it's, you know, lions are majestic and you see one up close and it's like, oh wow, but it's gonna eat you. Um that's what sin is. And so it was really interesting. My dad just debated Gregory Coles, I think Dr. Gregory Coles. Um, and he is also a part of the revoice side B big voice in that. And um, in his debate, Coles was not willing to say that a same sex desire is sin. Like he just wouldn't say that he wouldn't say it. And it's like, that is bondage. That's bondage. You can never, you can't hate it properly yeah. and and kill it if mm-hmm. you will not call it what it is. Well, yeah, he, if you he won't he's repent. A, he's yeah. a semi-Pelagian. Yes. He's, mm-hmm. the, he's the par excellence of semi-Pelagianism. He, I listened to that debate and your dad, of course, did an excellent job. He always does. Um, but he argues, Coles argues that his same-sex desire is a pre-lust desire. And Kevin D. Young argues this in his book on homosexuality, um, which I that probably shocks your hearers, but that's Wait, the truth. what? Kevin D. Young, in his book on homosexuality, he says same-sex desire is only sin if it rises to the level of lust. No. Yeah, he, he doesn't say that now, but if you got if you've got his book on homosexuality, and it's still in print, you know, it, it, that's exactly what it says. That's um, the most shocking thing someone's ever said to me on this show. Well, what, you, what do you I'll mean send by you the link? What do you mean by he doesn't say that now? Well, he teaches right now. He teaches biblically now. Wow. Okay. Okay. Oh, thank goodness. I'm so glad. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> He's, Sorry, I literally almost fell off my chair. Okay, keep going. Sorry. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I forgot what I was saying now. You were um, saying that um, Cole's position, and yes, because oh, yeah, yeah. he talks about mosquitoes a lot. Anyway. Yeah. So Cole's position <laughs> is semi-Pelagianism. It goes against what sin is in the Roman Catholic tradition and in the Protestant tradition. Like it wasn't until the 1700s that Roman Catholics started saying, well, sin is different. Like sin is not morally culpable until you agree with it. Before then, in the 1500s, they were saying, no, sin is morally culpable. That's why you got to get baptized as a baby because you'll go to hell if you don't because right. you've got original guilt. Right. And um, the Protestants agreed what sin was with the Roman Catholics at that time. But they said, no, you know, it, the, the Roman Catholics were saying that it, sin changes in the baptized. It no longer produces guilt. And the Protestants were saying, no, it produces guilt, but it's imputed to Christ. And so they were saying sin doesn't change. Christ, you know, your sin's credited to Christ. His righteousness is given to you. And so, um, but Coles takes the semi-Pelagian position, says that lust happens at a later time. Like when you, your will knowingly, when you mindfully choose to agree with sin, then you're lusting. But the way the Bible has been understood throughout church history is that lust begins the moment you desire contrary to God. And your will is involved. It's just not mindfully involved. Right. Right. And so Coles is basing sin on his mind, not on his heart. Mm -hmm. Right. And and that's the that's the danger. You know, you you instead of sin being based on love God with all your heart, soul and mind, it's being based on. What do I remember choosing? And mm. so, so when me being a pastor, if I want to know someone's sin, someone in my office has sinned, I just open the Bible. But for somebody like Gregory Coles, he has to talk to the person and say, Well, do you remember? Did you choose like all this anthropology? Mm. It's so it, weird. It's, it seems like the alternative would just be repenting of your sin. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I I mean, I am a human being, so I understand how difficult that can be for us. But yeah, it really is. It's total bondage. It is, um, which is how I would describe lots of the psych secular psychobabble is it's just like protecting your sin. It's protecting your feelings, not wanting to feel responsible, I guess, ultimately pride, but really is like, and this is what happens anytime we, like it all gets very complicated and we have to like, you know, to become a psychologist, you have to go to school for 12 years and just to learn all of the complicated ways we have just not wanted to repent. But that's really, it's just like, that's, uh, it's just so it's very, it's just very simple. It kept hitting me because the first, in the first part of the book, you just go through these verses chapter by chapter and it's just like, if you sin, it doesn't matter what you like, if, if you are waiting to repent or minister to yourself, preach the, the, uh, the gospel to yourself, mm -hmm. when you're waiting until you actually act out on your sin, you are really neglecting to repent. <laughs> and, and it's, and it's so simple. If you are legitimately saved, repentance is the most simple, secure thing ever. It's so comforting. It should be such a comfort. I'm like, 
I'm convicted. I'm like, I need to, I need to make sure that when I'm, I'm not like rationalizing sin away. And because that's actually not comforting. It's full of pride. It's full of uh, the, the weight lifted by just being humble. I'm, it does not compare to the, (laughs) the forced slavery of pride and defending your sin. And I don't know, like it just, that's just what I kept throughout the whole book. I'm like, or I, you could just repent, Joy. You could just like <laughs> repent. And then instead of spending years trying to like make your sin okay, you yeah. could just instantly make it okay. I mean, not like okay morally, but covered morally, handled. Dealt with, paid. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 There, there's so much freedom that people are missing out on. Yes. That is why... So that is, that is, I think our heart in having conversations about like, well, what is this and what does it mean is that, you know, I get the emails from people that are like, what do I do with my anger? What do I do with my, and you know, nine times out of 10, I say, go talk to your pastor because I'm not your pastor. But, Mm -hmm. but the, the thing that I, I just deeply care about, and this comes up, you know, when we talk about food and, and people having issues around food addiction or gluttony or just so many sins and temptations that are just common to the human experience. So many Christians are missing out on how much freedom there is because we have psychologized sin to death. And now with revoice and gay Christianity and all that, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just one more layer um, and so anyway, that's why I want, that's why I wanted to have the conversation with you. That's why I'm so glad you wrote this book. Like, I really, I really think if you're just, if it, I, it is, it is, uh, the dissertation brought down to a layman's level. So I highly recommend it, um, to, to anybody who, you know, Joy's talking about it, d- impacting her day-to-day life, like how you view sin will impact your day-to-day life and what you do with your guilt will impact your day-to-day life and it's written very pastorally so mm-hmm. i couldn't recommend well them. yeah if you yeah it's just don't think that this well so yeah i guess a don't think that this issue doesn't touch you in some way shape or form um but b if you do if you are in the right i guess for lack of a better way of putting that um if you believe correctly about um you know, homosexual desires also being sin, make sure that you're not doing what these people are doing. <laughs> um, just cause it could be, it could be, it could be easy to just believe the lie that you're naturally inclined. I appreciate it. Even right in the beginning of the book, um, you were just talking about how we even sort of in our culture have this idea that like, it's natural for a man to be like desiring of women and we kind of like because we're so uh secular and darwinian we just that's what we think about is like what's natural what's material what are the impulses pointing towards you know um and i think that's even a lie that we we believe and you you just very simply corrected it's like no a desire the, the desire that a man has for a woman is towards his wife it's that simple it's not natural for a man to be just desiring all women at all times. But we believe that. We believe those little lies. Yeah. yeah little, yeah. 
You're exactly right. I mean, we, and we understand this somewhat because we would say it's awful for a father to desire his daughter or mm -hmm. like we understand some of it in our culture. But if you start saying, well, it's natural for men to desire women, well, then you would have to say that other wives, other like family, family, like all these evil things that we, of course, reject. But you're right. It, it, it's just it's pervasive. You know, it, it's just it's amazing how a little leaven can kind of live in everything. Mm, mm -hmm. the, could, could I talk a moment about um, just about temptation? Mm -hmm. Please do. Um, like, so think about it, like, because often with uh, the biggest excuse I hear, and y'all might hear this as well, is that people say Jesus was tempted. I'm being tempted like mm. Jesus. I'm not sinning, right? Temptation isn't a sin. But Jesus's temptation is usually we're not being tempted like Jesus. Usually we're being tempted like David or Peter. Um, Jesus never desired evil. When when you look at his temptation uh, in the wilderness, the devil comes to him with good things, objectively good things to offer him. So the the true David, Jesus is the true David. The old David, King David, was tempted with with lust adultery, murder, laziness, those are all inherently evil things. When Satan goes to the true David, Jesus, and tempts him, he tempts him with food, angel protection, and to be the king of kings. Those are all inherently good things that either God was going to give Jesus during his earthly ministry or after the cross. Mm -hmm. And so people, people use that and say, with any sin, like when they're desiring evil, they, they say, well, I'm being tempted like Jesus. No, you're not. Jesus never desired evil. It, you know, in my book, I talk about how Matthew Lee Anderson, who's at Baylor University, and he's actually evangelical and has been, you know, he's mm -hmm. wrote for the Gospel Coalition and started Mirror uh, Orthodoxy, I think is what it's called, yeah. the web, web magazine. But he says that um, Jesus desired something contrary to God or desired to disobey his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is blasphemy to say mm -hmm. that. Jesus, if you look at Luke's account, Luke twenty two forty two, he says, Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me, not my will, yours be done. So Jesus desired something. You know, he desired his father's will. He didn't desire to go to the cross. And if Jesus is holy, he shouldn't want to become sin. He shouldn't want to drink his father's wrath. He shouldn't want to be harmed by evil men. He shouldn't want any of those things, but he should want to do his father's will. Mm. Right? So Jesus is the perfect example of how to deal with difficult providence. Mm. We shouldn't want the result of the curse, death, suffering. We shouldn't want those things, but we should want God's will. Mm. And so Jesus provides us a perfect example. Instead of saying, no, Jesus, and what Matthew Lee Anderson, the reason why he's doing that, the reason why he's saying, well, Jesus desired something evil is because he wants to justify same-sex attraction, that the yep. desire for evil is not sin. That's right. And he's trying to use Jesus to do it. That's right. And Jesus, even in the cry of dereliction, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me, is a cry. Like if, if God has placed sin on him and is pouring wrath out on his son— and Jesus is holy, what should he cry out? You know, 
he should say, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then a few moments later, he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He trusts him. Um, and he trusts him during that time as well. It's a quote from uh, Psalm, Psalm 22. 22. Yeah. He's mm -hmm. a, and the suffering servant is victorious by the end of that Psalm. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is identifying with David. Like That's the right. true David, the rightful heir to David's throne. And then, um, I, I'm sorry if I'm going too long, but you're in, not in Hebrews uh, 4.15, when um, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way like us, but without sin, people use that and say, well, Jesus was tempted in everything, just like me. Look, the, the author of Hebrews, if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, the whole point is that Jesus is better than us. He's better than all those who've come before. He's better than the Old Testament sacrificial system. He's better than the Old Testament priests. He's better than the Old Testament prophets. Like he's better than everyone who came before. And the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is truly human. He was really tempted. That's right. Right. He's not saying that he was tempted with every evil thing that we're tempted with. I mean, if you believe Jesus was tempted with evil, then you, you have to believe he's only tempted with things you're tempted with, but things that you wouldn't, that you think are just horrendous, mm -hmm. like just wicked, evil, unthinkable things. You'd have to believe Jesus was tempted with those things. And, you know, so what's going on with Jesus's temptation? He is tempted with something good offered through an evil means. And so if you're tempted with something good, offered through an evil means, like let's say you want to provide for your family and someone says, hey, here, go rob this bank. If you reject the evil means, 100%, you've been tempted like Jesus. But if you have an inner desire for evil, you're being tempted like David or Peter. You've already begun to sin in your heart. You've got That's to right. kill it at the root. You've got to mortify that sin. But it is sin. That's why you seek to mortify it. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that distinction is super important. And um, several years ago, I remember a, in TGC Australia, there was an article published and it, it's since been pulled um, arguing. I, I don't even I've said that I hate I don't like saying it, but it yeah, was what you're it's horrible. It's what you're talking about of basically like G if if it's true that Jesus was tempted in every way, Hebrews 4.15, then he had to have been tempted towards transgenderism or, you know, again, the evil, I hate uh, just saying it made yeah. my throat close yes. up, but yeah. that was, that was what was being argued in TGC Australia. Um, and uh, I made a big, huge deal about it and I was really upset and the article has been pulled, but Good. it was published. You know what I mean? Like it, mm -hmm. it made it, that's why this matters. It made it past the editors and was published. So there's a big problem here. And um, I'm glad that you're talking about it because I think more pastors need to be talking about that distinction between like, okay, what does it mean that he was tempted in every way? And, and what is up with temptation and what does that mean? And um, so I think that that distinction is just very good and necessary. Okay. Do we have any more questions for him? I'm going to try to let him go. We've kept yeah, you longer than we said we would. I'm sorry, but I really yeah, think okay. it's necessary. I think you all need to go. I think you should pick up like five copies of this book and hand it out just like candy. Yes. Just like mm -hmm. spread it around. If you guys do, you know, 
uh, gift exchanges for Thanksgiving. Who does that? I don't know. I might start this year with this book. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's really good. It, it's, it's very helpful. Um, it's less of the flesh by Dr. Jared Moore and where else can they find your stuff? Yeah. Th- so you can buy my book at freegracepress.com. And, um, I've, I've got that book and I, I would recommend that. And if you read it and have any questions or comments, um, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. Um, I will reply and do my best to help and encourage folks. Cause I, I really do want to help people. I think that, um, I really do think that, that revoice is arguing for a type of a false gospel where they're trying to take your sin away through basically empty rhetoric that it's not sin. And so, um, I want to help people who are in that prison and, yeah. and help people who have same sex desires to enjoy God's good gift of family and, and marriage and children. And, and, um, and so you can find me on Twitter and you can also find my other book that I co-authored the pop culture parent on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. But, uh, but be sure to check out uh, free grace press and get your copy. Um, you know, it, it starts shipping here in a few days. And so, um, good. Yeah, do do what Summer said. You know, buy five copies. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> we're doing Thanksgiving present exchanges this year, <laughs> and it's with with. I mean, what a title too! Like everybody's sitting down to a feast, and I'm like, "Do you want a book on the lust of the flesh?" <laughs> That's rough. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hey, feasting's in the Bible. The problem That's with right. America is we do it too, every much. day. Yeah, yeah. every day. Yes, Mm -hmm. we have that conversation a lot. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really (laughs) glad. It was great. Thank you. Thank you, Joy. Thank you very much. Y'all keep doing what you're doing, encouraging folks to be biblical and enjoy the Lord. Thank you so much. Well, wasn't that amazing? What a treat. (laughs) What a treat. Um, Yeah, I'm seriously, I'm not, I wasn't um, lying or flattering uh, this is definitely, it's just, I, w- I just really, I was really appreciative going through this book, um, right. specifically like his scripture exegesis, like, mm-hmm. um, you can tell he's a pastor. Yeah. It, but it just really, like, I get, I get why, I mean, there's even people that are like, I appreciate the example that his whole talk about like what he just talked about with temptation and giving like specific examples. I feel like that helps, but going through the scriptures, they really, and it's not hard read. It's not hard. No, it wasn't hard at all. It's just, but it's just very clear. And it just shows you there are things like this, like in the faith that they almost seem, it almost seems like this little nitpicky distinctions. Yeah. But when you actually, like, when you understand, you're like, oh, that's actually quite a distinction that yeah. will change the way what that you, you think. you do today. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so th- d- definitely uh, that's, yeah, I so appreciated it for real. Like, I I, I absolutely recommend for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, and these are, you know, this is the, the I mean, gay Christianity side a and side b are they're you know they're part of the group that defines our culture's sexual ethic and so it's important um 
because you need to know what a proper sexual ethic is. I'm assuming you want to teach it to your kids. Um, it's yeah. yeah. I yes. highly recommend this book. Yes. <laughs> highly. Yes. Very, very readable, very accessible. If you feel like any of it's over your head, I feel like the book just breaks it down and you yeah. will you will not, as you're reading the book, feel like it's over your head. That's not no, what, you'll what's come, gonna happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um it's really great. So I didn't do any of the stuff up front. I'm sorry. My laptop, I don't know. If I mute my laptop. You all just have to listen to my phone when I get texts and I'm just very cool. So that's why I get texts all the time. I know. Well, both of us happen to be in a rather active thread at the moment. There's also that. Yes. uh, You know, Um, um, I managed to figure it out on my iPad, but I was like, hopefully this doesn't do anything weird. But regardless. um, Yeah. But um. I want to tell you guys that you can leave us a voicemail at 470-465-0475. So many of you, um, just so you know, Joy, circling back to this because the comments, voicemails, messages are still coming in that there are some men out there who care about lighting. Some men deeply care about lighting and the what I'm what I'm getting in the volume of messages is that those some men that care about proper lighting and not just blaring overhead lights at all times are few and far between like right. it is really a male female thing that it is a vast yeah. Well, we congratulate, we congratulate the small exception of you for being on the right side of this issue. (laughs) Yes. Like one person, I can't remember it was a voicemail or an email, but she was just telling me how her husband like deeply cares about lighting and all that stuff. And it turns out like his job is like production design for like, well, I think you called that. I think you predicted that, that it was like, there was going to be this little outlier of like, Yes. Stage designers, yes, uh, producers, directors. And the thing like, is, is that those men that care about that stuff, they probably take it to like the next level, right? Like the very oh. kind of like awkward level of like yeah. they care so deeply, they can tell you how many lumens are in the brand of light yes. bulb that they buy. Yes. You know what I mean? Like they're gonna take it to the neurodivergent level. Yeah, is yes. a nice way to put it. Yes. Um, <laughs> Because that's it's, how men it's are. It's preferable for the sake of your relationships and just the overall stress of the world. It's preferable that women, trust me, all we want is for things to be nice and cozy. Yes, that's all I want. <laughs> and so it is so much simpler for women to, <laughs> to care about this. hold the view. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, I just had to circle back to that because people have let us know. Um, and of course, you know, there's the rare exceptions that have emailed in and told me their really funny story of why they care about the lighting, why their man cares about the lighting. And it's all exceptions mm-hmm. to the rule by and large, yeah. the men don't care. They'll turn on whatever hideous fluorescent blinding light at whatever time. And the women do care. So that's kind yeah. of. I had to circle back to that. So lamp girls forever. 
Have I told you the story of like when my husband and I got married? I'd never had a side table lamp like ever. And then he's he's the kind of person who has always had a side table lamp. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, can we please, can we please have lamps? Like, can you, like, he told me like, go get them, like go buy lamps. And I was like, so excited. I was like, yeah, yes, I will. And I like went to the store and I like curated, like I got some really interesting lamps, but they were both gold. So they matched, but they weren't the same. Like there was two right. different. I didn't buy the same lamp. Right. This isn't the 50s. You didn't have matching twin beds and matching nightstands and matching lamps. (laughs) And so when I came home with these very alternatively shaped, not matching lamps, he thought I was out of my mind. Like we could, he could not have meant or envisioned something more different. Like he thought I was coming back with First of all, obviously, yeah. matching lamps. And mm-hmm. we're talking like the big shade and then the big bulbous bottom, right? And like what I got yeah. was like geometric gold marble, no shade, like different mm-hmm. things. And like that was the really the beginning of my husband and I discovering just like we don't mean when he says lamp. Mm. And when I say lamp, we don't mean the same thing. Like we mean completely different things. And that, yeah, you know, it's very sanctifying the whole. <laughs> <laughs> Just lighting. The lighting of a home is a sanctifying moment. For how, you know, words having vastly different meanings when said yes. by different people. Yes. It's also sanctifying. Yes. Yeah. So many of those moments where you're like, I see that you absolutely did exactly what I said. And yet... I, I could not, have described I better yes. what I had meant. <laughs> I could not have seen this coming. He could not have seen it coming. He was like, I did not know I needed to specify. Okay. <laughs> he didn't know he needed to tell me he wanted ugly matching lamps. <laughs> I do want to go. Co- this is a hot tip. I'm yeah. going to recommend. Yeah, there is. For those of you, I mean, I like a nice symmetrical moment but there is something about having coordinated sides of the bed but maybe one is a little more your style and the one is more your husband's style maybe one's a little more feminine and a little one is more masculine and you kind of the melding of styles i highly recommend uh putting -hmm. your mind to that if you're a woman i believe you're inherently good at that and if you're not it's because you just haven't practiced enough Yeah, and just, it's fine. You'll get there. Everything's fine. (laughs) The lamps. Anyway, okay. You guys. um, (laughs) Go get some lamps. Go get some lamps. And before you do, ask your husband what he means by a lamp. He probably, he he might not even care. Anyway, leave us a voicemail, (laughs) 470-465-0475. And we'll see y'all next week. See ya. Oh